This morning, I have chosen to depart from our typical adherence to the lectionary and have chosen instead to depart and follow a hint that Pastor Kristen gave us last week in her sermon. I'm speaking from Paul's writing about families. Now, as I mentioned in my prayer, sometimes families comfort us. And sometimes families challenge us. But living in relationship with a family is one of the blessings that God has given us. So observing Paul's writings about families, what I want to do is speak to the younger members of our congregation and, and talk about what it takes to live in harmony and in happiness in a family. Now, as you suspect, <clears throat> to do this thoroughly would take much more than the time I have been allotted on Sunday morning. So I'm not going to try to give an extensive coverage of what it, what it takes to be a, a productive family member, but I do want to speak to some specifics that I believe will be helpful. Some time ago, the head of personnel for a major IT firm told about a woman who had come in to fill out a job application. And when she came to the part that said marital status, she appeared to be stumped. She paused for a long time and finally wrote in her own response, unremarried, indicating thereby that uh, marriage was in her mind the normal state of affairs and she just was in a, an in-between marriage condition. Maybe some of you can identify, I, I don't know. But more than half a century has passed since Alvin Toffler broke into society with that explosive book called Future Shock. He quotes from two camps concerning the future of the family. He says, first of all, from the pessimistic point of view, that the family was a relic of the past which should soon completely disappear. But he quoted also from the opposing viewpoint, those who were more optimistic, saying that they believed that the future of the family would see a new golden age in the time to come. 
Well, <clears throat> perhaps not a golden age, I don't know exactly, but I am happy to report that the family is alive and kicking. In some families, there seems to be more kicking than in others, but nevertheless, the, the family is alive and doing well. Although statistically, nearly half of all marriages end in divorce, that evidence is skewed by those couples who divorce multiple times. So if it is possible, which it's not really, but as far as actuarials are concerned and people who keep track of such things are concerned, between 75% and 80% of couples who get married stay married. That's encouraging. This morning I propose a kind of basic training, if you will, for families. I'm not seeking to reinvent the family, nor, as I said earlier, am I seeking to give you everything you need to know about family, but only to remind us of some very important lessons which will be beneficial to us in living in close relationship. So jumping right into the subject, let's first of all acknowledge that marriage isn't for everybody. Jesus affirmed that some would choose to remain single because of what he had called them to do. Quoting Jesus in Matthew 19, 12, for some have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. And Paul wrote, I wish that all people were as I am, that is, unmarried. But each one has his own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7. People should not be driven to marriage to make them okay, and neither should they feel substandard or as though they were societal misfits if they're not married. I remember a sign on a barbershop, a barbershop wall years ago it said simply, a woman without a man is like a fish without a bicycle. Yeah, that's how it affected me too. What? Well, it's simply saying that we don't need to be married to have a happy and fulfilling life. But celibacy is not for everyone either. I heard about a pope who died and went to heaven. St. Peter met him at the gate and welcomed him to heaven and said, 
Is there anything that you would like to see particularly now that you are here? And the Pope said, as a matter of fact, there is. I have always wondered about the original writings of the church fathers. I would like to see those. Peter said, no problem. We've got a library here that's second to none. So he took him to the library and the Pope is reading through these manuscripts. St. Peter left him on his own, but in a few minutes he heard him sighing and crying, oh no, oh no. And Peter rushed in to say, oh, what's wrong? And the Pope said, there's an R, there's an R. The word is celebrate. I'll let you think about that for a little while. <laughs> Celibacy isn't for everyone. Most people want to be married. Most people want to be happily married. If a person wants to be married so badly that he or she is willing to settle for an unhappy marriage, my advice would be first seek a therapist, then seek a spouse. Because no one surely wants to be unhappy in a marriage. So how do we make our marriage a happy one? Paul writes, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. He goes on to explain what he means by that. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever, he asks. The reason for this is simple. A believer looks at life differently. A believer sees things from the perspective of the Heavenly Father. The whole frame of reference shifts when we become Christ followers. We see God's hand working even in our disappointments. Now, in thinking about marriage relationships and thinking about the 66% or so that in counting those who are divorcing multiple times. But looking at all of that, we come to understand that there are some people who in their marriage relationships are clueless. They have no idea what is involved in making the relationship substantive and happy and even wholesome. And because they're clueless, they're also glueless. There's nothing holding them together. So in this clueless and glueless state, they go through married life seeking to please themselves. 
I could tell you literally dozens of stories about young men and women who thought that the only thing that mattered was the feeling of bliss that comes from marriage. And if that feeling somehow deserts or shifts, if that feeling isn't what it was, then why go on with marriage, they, th they think. They, they got, when they were with each other in the beginning, a certain feeling that came. And in this feeling, they were just thrilled. But feelings change, don't they? She says, when I'm with him, I get this queasy and wonderful feeling. I'm weak in the knees. I get dizzy and I have this funny feeling in my stomach. He says, when I'm with her, it's as though nothing else matters. It's as though I'm transported in a different dimension. Sounds like COVID to me. <laughs> now, I do not negate the power of attraction, the power of chemistry. That's important. We need to have these feelings toward one another. We need to, to know that the other loves us and we love that person. The chemistry is important, but Feelings change. So what I'm saying is don't base the significance of your relationship. Don't base the importance of your relationship on your feelings. She feels the need to have financial security. That's not uncommon. He feels the need to have his laundry done. Well, that's not uncommon. But if this is the extent of what they expect and want out of marriage, she should have married an ATM and he should have married a Maytag. There's more to the relationship than what we feel. What kind of marriage do you want, young people, as you think ahead about getting married? Or those of you who are married, what kind of marriage do you want? If you are married and tell me, I want to be happy, I will make a grim prediction that you won't be. What I mean by that is, if that is our focus on being happy myself, it puts on our spouse an unrealistic expectation 
for no one can truly make another person happy. It requires participation on your own part. Your concern, if all you want is to be happy, is for yourself and for and on yourself. A man who says, I want to be happy, places too great a burden on his wife and vice versa. Now, if you tell me, I want my spouse to be happy and I wish to be equally happy, I will say there is hope for you. A husband who says, I want my wife to be happy will have a vastly different concern than the man whose only concern is being happy himself. Reminds me of an apron I saw. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. But the man who wants to be happy is self-centered. The man who wants his wife to be happy will value, will value her and her opinion. He will not treat her like the cook and washerwoman he lives with. He will not treat her as though she is some kind of ancillary addition to him. He will esteem her. And consequently, she will not belittle him and nag him and pick at him. She will esteem him. One problem with today's life, and it's not just today, it's been for decades, but one problem is we grew up thinking that we should get anything we want anytime we want it. I've noticed that the more quickly I can get things, the more quickly I want things. I've noticed that this affects my attitude, not only about things I acquire, things I possess, but it also affects relationships. When I grow impatient waiting for my computer to boot, and I've got one of those that it takes a long time to boot. But I, I get impatient with this computer, and I, I have to think back on the days when I was in college, when we had to wait for the tablets to dry before we could turn them in. Well, it wasn't quite that bad, but, but there were no computers in those days days, ancient as I am, but this kind of mentality gives us 
a sense of entitlement. If I'm not getting what I want when I want it, I'll get rid of the old and look for the new. A philosophy of life that is distinctly unbiblical. One who has this kind of attitude believes that the chief end of life is to be happy and to have everything you want. But this attitude leads itself to unhappiness, not only in marriage, but also in life. Listen again to the words of Paul. We read them earlier. He says, submit. Now, submission is not being a doormat. He says, wives, submit. And he says, husbands, love your wives. Now, let me ask you, do you think Paul is saying that women should not love their husbands because he doesn't say so? Go like this. That's the right answer. No, he's not saying that. Of course not. Do you think he is saying to men that they should not submit because he does not say so? Go like this. No, of course not. There's a mutual love and mutual submission that is a part of marriage relationships. It's being with a person you care about, you will do anything for. Now, sometimes you're going to mess up. Let's face it. We are human beings. Sometimes we're going to mess things up. But one of the things that we have as loving people is the propensity or at least the ability to forgive. To say, you messed up, bud. I love you, but you really messed up. And bud says, I know, I, I really messed up. He doesn't try to cover it up, doesn't try to explain it or justify it. Admission, I messed up. That kind of honesty is a part of a marriage relationship, isn't it? If we love each other, if we're mutually submissive to one another, that's what Paul says. So in this marriage relationship, there's more that could be said, but suffice it to say this, husbands, and wives submit to one another. You're not going to be right all the time. And they're not going to be wrong all the time. So submit to one another. And love one another. Forgiving one another. 
That's just the way it is in marriage relationships.